Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM and also welcome to those listening to our podcast or streaming on 3cr.org.au. It's 6.01pm on Tuesday the 29th of June 2021. Over to you, Tess. <laughs> Firstly, we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land we're broadcasting from. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and we acknowledge this, sta- this land was stolen, never ceded. We're your hosts, Tess, Meg and Sue and tonight... We're talking about movement lawyering. Tonight we're speaking to two guests, Susie Vnukovska-Matonga and Sarah Swartz, about the upcoming Rebellious Lawyering Conference to be held online in September 2021. Susie and Sarah are two of the co-organisers of the conference, and they spoke to us on Sunday 27th of June about movement lawyering, how movement or rebellious lawyering is seeking to change the legal landscape, and what to expect from the upcoming Reb Law Australia Conference. Susie is a human rights lawyer working at the Clooney Foundation for Justice. She's got a Master's of Laws from Columbia Law School and started her own not-for-profit organisation, Rights Nights, which focused on educating the Australian public on human rights under Australian and international law. Sarah is a senior lawyer at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. She recently completed a Master's of Law at Harvard University Gosh, how qualified are our, fa- our fabulous guests? <laughs> Focusing, she, uh, Sarah focused on issues relating to mass incarceration, critical race theory and community movement lawyering. And just before we start, we're just going to explain a couple of acronyms that are being used in the, in the interviews tonight, which were recorded um, the other day on Sunday. Um, CLC stands for Community Legal Centre and ALS stands for Aboriginal Legal Service. Over to you, Tess. So what is movement lawyering? Perhaps it would be great if both of you could explain uh, to our listeners how you became aware of and involved in the movement personally as well. So I guess the definition of movement lawyering, movement lawyering is really underpinned by the theory that systemic change occurs through collective action that's led and directed by the people most affected. And it's really about trying to build lasting power in historically disempowered communities. And so it's a really broad definition um, and it can involve so many different types of lawyering, but at its core, it really involves lawyers working to build the long-term power of communities and movements 
by using a variety of different advocacy strategies and that can include litigation, policy advocacy, strategic use of media um, and political lobbying. I guess I was exposed first to movement lawyering uh, when I went to the US. Um, I recently came back from um, studying uh, in the US doing a master's um, and I guess having already worked in the community sector back in Australia I had like a lot of questions that I went there about my role as a lawyer questions about sort of the ways that the traditional lawyer client relationship can disempower clients and um, whether by helping clients and communities navigate really unjust systems like the criminal system and the housing system um, I was just another cog in the chain and, and just sort of serving to legitimise those systems rather than tackling systemic injustice head on. Head on. Um, and when I was in the US, I was exposed to communities of lawyers who were sort of grappling with all of those same questions and through my studies exposed to writers who have been really critical of um, traditional public interest lawyering models and have written about uh, concepts like movement lawyering, rebellious lawyering, community lawyering for decades. Um, we've got a reading list on our Reb Law website um, that really goes through um, some of those writings and those authors. Um, and so I guess I was exposed through my studies and, and also through um, when I was in the US, I had the opportunity to work with community organisers in Baton Rouge in a campaign to do with um, cash bail and, and um, the criminalisation of poverty. And that campaign was led by people who were... Um, impacted by those systems by parents whose children had passed away in the local parish jail and lawyers within that movement were simply one cog and worked in tandem with that broader campaign so that was where I was exposed to movement lawyering. And I guess similar to Sarah I was exposed to movement lawyering for the first time when I was in the US myself um, studying so I was really interested in um, how to work with communities, particularly um, from my background as a human rights lawyer, how to work with communities, um, not just domestically, but internationally. And while I was studying at Columbia, I was part of the human rights clinic and they really kind of adopted a movement lawyering approach to the work that um, they were doing with with local communities and local organisations working around the world. So that's how I became exposed to movement lawyering and really thought about how we could bring it to Australia. It's really interesting to hear that both of your um, experiences with movement lawyering have come overseas and, and in both cases in the US. Are there any examples of movement lawyering Australia that you could uh, point to, um, you know, historic or current? perhaps that some of our listeners might be familiar with? That's a really, really great question. And I think that one that really, um, you know, we've discussed so much in organising this conference. Um, and I think that just to start off with, I think the, you know, what movement lawyering or rebellious lawyering, as we understand it, isn't necessarily so different to the work um, that CLC lawyers have always done in Australia. Um, and really for me, one of the highlights of going to the US was, learning about um, having a language and framework to describe sort of um, the way in which community lawyers operate and, and how we can sort of critically examine our work in relation to clients and communities. Um, one, really, uh, one really great example of, um, there are so many great examples of rebellion in Australia. 
um, and we're going to be exploring some of those in the conference. I think that the um, one example that comes to mind is the foundation of the ALS um, in New South Wales in the 70s. Um, the ALS was founded by young activists and lawyers in Redfern um, to fight police harassment of Aboriginal people there. Um, and the Redfern ALS was the first CLC um, in Australia and really sparked the creation of legal aid and other CLCs and it's the reason we're here today. And I think that some of those, the principles on which the ALS was founded um, really sort of tie in with the concepts that we're going to be exploring at the conference. Um, there's a really great book by Johanna Peck in Tupa um, who sort of describes um, the, the principles on which the ALS was founded, Aboriginal control and um, how how the ALS um, initially sort of supported Aboriginal people not only through direct legal services but also serving all these other functions being um, a meeting space providing advice to other Aboriginal controlled organizations by setting up bail funds and halfway houses um, and its founders were really committed to um, this notion that the ALS didn't sort of just accept the legal status quo as it was but it was a political organisation um, and so I think that is sort of the foundation for so many CLCs and really the start of um, the start of CLCs and ALSs in Australia is a really great example of um, rebellious lawyering and, and that sort of critical approach to lawyering. Thank you um, and I, I suppose that in part the Reb Law Conference will be an opportunity to reflect on that history and, and how we have moved or, or haven't moved. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the actual conference, um, what, what you're hoping to achieve, who will be presenting, how people can get involved? Sure. Um, so when we sat down, um, I think our main purpose in organising the Rev Law Conference is um, really to critically reflect on the work of public interest lawyers in Australia and to learn how we um, together as the legal profession can better support grassroots movements and um, campaigns. So I guess we've really got three objectives for the conference. Um, the first is to challenge some of the underlying assumptions about the role of lawyers in social change and encourage critical reflection on the power imbalances between lawyers and their clients, as well as the polit political nature of lawyering. Um, the second is to really lift the voices of activists and storytellers from communities impacted by injustice. And um, that includes developing stronger relationships between lawyers and community organisers. And the third is um, to really forge a network of interested and like-minded lawyers, um, law students and community organisers, and um, to kickstart what we hope is an annual conference. And um, that's why we've really worked hard to bring together um, what we think is a really uh, strong, um, strong list of keynote speakers um, who we think really exemplify um, the type of movement lawyering that we, we hope um, to kind of uh, get um, Australian lawyers to think about. So our keynote address is by Vince Warren, who's the executive director of the Center for Constitutional Rights in the U.S., um, and then we've also got um, the Australian keynote speaker, who is the amazing Professor Megan Davis. She is the Pro Vice Chancellor in, um, at UNSW and is also an expert in human rights and constitutional law. We've also got Larissa Brent, who um, is the author 
Um, she's a filmmaker, she's a lawyer, and she's the director of research at the Jabuna Indigenous House of Learning at UTS. We've got um, Debbie Kilroy, who is the CEO of Sisters Inside, Jennifer Robinson, who's a human rights lawyer and the founder of the Bertha Justice Initiative, um, as well as Marbury Stanley Butts, who's the executive director of Law for Black Lives. And um, we're really excited. Um, we've also got the, uh, some of the members of the Torres Strait 8 climate uh, campaign. Hi, I'm Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002, and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday, July the 5th to Friday, July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcasts. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Thoughts within Visions I see Daring to dream My destiny And now we're back to our interview with Susie and Sarah talking to us about movement lawyering and the upcoming Reb Law Conference. And here, Susie and Sarah are going to discuss with us some of the practicalities of movement lawyering in practice. So thinking about, um, I suppose, practically some of the differences or what movement lawyering has to offer, um, something that I'm interested in um, after reading some of the information on your on your website um, is the relationship between lawyer and client um, and how that might be different in the context of movement lawyering. Um, can you talk us through um, what that relationship looks like and how those differences might play out in practice. For example, if you're taking instructions from a group of people instead of um, just an individual client, what that might look like. So I guess, uh, yeah, so much of sort of movement lawyering or rebellious lawyering, um, so much of the theorising around movement and rebellious lawyering is sort of responsive to the limitations of certain forms of public interest lawyering and sort of the limitations of um, I guess, the traditional lawyer-client relationship and sort of that limited ability for individual legal services to address the root cause of clients' problems when they aren't delivered in conjunction with sort of broader collective action towards systemic change. Um, I think your question really reminds me of um, or goes back to a book that I guess one of the, my introduction to rebellious lawyering really came from the book um, written by Gerald Lopez, which is titled Rebellious Lawyering. And um, it's obviously also the title of the conference, um, both our conference and other conferences in the US and the UK. Um, it's really a foundational book for so many of these concepts. Um, and that book sort of really examines, um, it uses accounts of lawyers and their clients, and it sort of examines the underlying power relations that can be inherent in the traditional lawyer-client relationship. Um, and and um, Gerald Lopez really he sort of compares what he describes as regnant lawyers to rebellious lawyers, um, with regnant lawyers being lawyers who are experts and professionals, they're detached from the lives of their clients, and they see themselves as knowing best how to solve problems, and they determine the cause for themselves. Um, and he sort of ties that to how um, 
the lawyers at law school and both within the profession were sort of institutionalized to think of ourselves as experts. Um, and uh, he contrasts that with rebellious lawyering um, and he describes rebellious lawyering as being a real power sharing collaboration between lawyers, clients and communities with clients and communities being experts and lawyers opening themselves up to learning um, and being educated by all the people that they come into contact with. Um, and so I guess that I, that really uh, critical examination of sort of the power differences between lawyer and clients, I think, can set the foundation for so many of um, the concepts around movement lawyering. Um, and of course, movement lawyering can take so many different forms, I think, from sort of um, the, the, you know, lawyering with groups of clients, which is probably a really great example of that is the um, Law for Black Lives, which works um, which we've, uh, Marbury um, is the executive director and then we'll speak at the conference, but they work directly and their client is the movement for black lives. Um, so they're really, you know, working with um, a group of clients as, um, as their clients. There are also so many examples of movement lawyering that involve sort of the more traditional lawyer client relationship. Um, and one example of that is, um, I guess there are so many different examples of that, but um, I think sort of the foundation of the ALS is a really great example of that, how you can work with individual clients, but yet be part of a broader movement. Um, also the work that's done by um, Vince Warren and the Centre for Constitutional Rights with their Stop and Frisk campaign um, is another great example of sort of using individualised cases and, and individualised work with clients, but tying that work into part of the broader objectives of a community and movement. Um, so I think, yeah, it can be really diverse. And my understanding is that it's not um, just that these principles can be applied in specific situations, but as you've just said, that um, some of these principles of movement lawyering, um, for example, you know, thinking about your relationship with your clients in a way that's collaborative and participatory, you know, those are skills that could be used in, in any legal context. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're like the lessons from movement lawyering and rebellious lawyering are things that um, we've sort of all spoken about as an organising team as applying to our individual work in Australia with CLCs and NGOs. Um, and I think particularly those questions around the, um, the power differential between lawyers and clients um, and sort of asking where the direction from lawyering is coming from, whether it comes from lawyers, whether it comes from communities and movements, um, trying to bring about institutional or systemic change um, and sort of who is leading the work, all those questions can apply to um, our day-to-day -day work at CLCs. And what do you envisage as the role um, that could be played, um, how, how movement lawyering can intersect with other alternative services that are already um, in place. So for example, in Victoria, there are a number of um, health justice partnerships where um, health professionals work alongside lawyers, um, for example, to provide more comprehensive services so that people are having their health needs addressed at the same time as their legal needs. Or in the criminal context, there are you know, various therapeutic courts um, in Victoria, which also kind of aim to, I suppose, adopt a, a more collaborative approach where um, clients are um, they provide support workers, a team of workers um, based at the court. How how do you think movement lawyering could intersect with that those types of organisations or programs? Movement 
sharing is definitely complementary um, to it. And I, I think, as Sarah has pointed out, there's there's different forms of movement wiring. And I think um, as long as we're all working towards addressing some of those power imbalances and really letting the um, the, the systemic change driven by um, those most impacted, and as long as those um, alternate, um, I guess, justice um, methods are, are, are recognizing the, those power imbalances um, and trying to um, work towards systemic change, I, I don't think there's really a conflict. Great. Well, thank you both again for speaking to us today. Um, just for our listeners, where could um, where could you recommend that people go to find more information, firstly, about the Reblaw Australia Conference, but also about movement lawyering generally? Reblaw.com.au is a great resource. We've got information both about the conference and a list of resources um, that are available, um, including an article um, actually written by um, Sarah and one the other co-organisers, um, Zoe Bush. So I would definitely recommend um, having a look at our website. Um, there's also a link to um, the actual ticket sales for the Rev Law Conference. Um, and listeners can also follow us on social media. So we've got a Twitter account um, and we've also got an Instagram account. Um, so if they just search Rev Law Australia, they should be able to find that and we'll keep those updated. Um, and the resources on our um, website will be update those um, and they include both articles um, as well as um, audio and videos. So there's definitely a lot of ways um, listeners can um, can engage both with the conference and the concepts of rebellious lawyering and movement lawyering. Okay. Uh, thanks for your time, Susie and Sarah. And once again, um, as uh, they just said, if you're interested in finding out more info and about movement lawyering or you'd like to attend their conference, Reb Law Conference in September, go to their website at www.reblaw.com.au and get info about the idea of uh, movement lawyering and links to other interesting resources. And what a good combo it's been tonight. Rebel Law and Radical Radio. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And uh, before we sign off, please don't forget to donate to Radiothon. Done by Law needs your support. Call 3CR on 03 9419 during business hours or you can head to our website 3cr.org.au to donate. That phone number one more time is 03 9419 this program is available on podcast go to the 3cr website and you can head to the done by law page please stay tuned for the wonderful voices of west papua but for now we'll take it out with a song
ourselves thinking where do we go wrong was it really me or maybe you all along does she touch your ear like i used to She kiss you there like I used to Do you like it? Cause I'm in love Boy like you I hope you feel it too I hope you feel it too Cause I'm in love Boy like you You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.